I'm Luka Doncic and this is Locked On Mavericks Podcast. This is gonna be huge. 360 in the contract. Never that. I just take the contact. I bring it back. I'm running on the fast break behind the back. Yeah, this that, this that, this that. Jerk with the And welcome. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. My name is Nick Engstead, lead analyst at Free Dawkins on YouTube, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, contributor at Mavs.com. It's a Game 7, Isaac Harris. Game 7 just ended between Denver and Portland. Man, that was such a fun game of basketball. That second half, what was Portland down? They were down double digits, 17 at one point, yeah. 17 points. That's insane. What are you thinking about LeBron's tweets right now? There, so LeBron's tweets, if you haven't seen them, are all about how the mid range is not dead. I, I see this a lot where people say, Oh, people who say the mid range is dead, look at Kevin Durant, look at what Kawhi Leonard is doing in the playoffs. And then CJ McCollum goes out and scores 37 points in game seven on the road and only hits one three and two free throws, which is impressive. Which it is, is, but it's like the it's completely impressive. It's the complete opposite of Mori Ball or what people call you know these new analytics. And people just blame analytics and say, "Well, analytics says that you should only drive and only take threes like what James Harden does." And you can score in other ways. Obviously, CJ McCollum feasted. I mean, it was all mid range. He, he didn't didn't take. He took two free. He went to the free throw line one time. T- took two threes. So LeBron is now saying that you know, oh, when you need a bucket. Get me a bucket. I don't care how it, how it is. And that's true. In these Game 7 games, I believe that that's true. I believe for the, the length of a regular season, though, I, you know, I believe that three is more than two. I do have a theory. I believe that right now the Banana Boat crew is hanging out. All right. And Carmelo grabbed LeBron's phone <laughs> and decided to send a few tweets out. Chris Paul likes uh, a few mid-range shots, too. That's true. Um, no, <laughs> if he's not falling down, it, but the second tweet by LeBron, it was my favorite one when he said, Hey, when you want to talk about, talk real basketball, let me know. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about Shabazz Napier. Let's talk real basketball, LeBron. We can. No, <laughs> that's stupid. Don't do that. <laughs> the thing is the, the real rebuttal to that would be LeBron. Why are you taking more threes then than ever before? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Yeah, I, it's just dumb tweets. I mean, you, nobody came out and said, you know, hey, analytics when Damian Lillard shot his 30,000 foot shot to, you know, be OKC and everything's fine then. But there's an opposition from some players of just, you know, guys that didn't play that come in with their numbers. And, you know, you see it from Charles Barkley most famously. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. And it's just not but, a blanket statement. It's just the idea that this one thing is more efficient than another thing. So we should do that more. Yeah. That's, what, that's what analytics is. It's just looking at the numbers. It's what I do in my videos. I didn't play, but you know, I can look at all the numbers and I can look at some film stuff and I can say point out some observations. I do want to say this. So we're recording in between both the game sevens. That's why we're not talking about Philly and Toronto. But uh, I want to say this about Denver real quick. Jokic is very good. So we should never – I mean, yeah, that should be obvious. Dis- I don't think anyone's disparaging them today. They shouldn't. Yeah, and they, they shouldn't at all. Uh, they do have a couple of question marks that I wonder about. I wonder what they're going to do with Paul Millsap. 
that's a team option of like $30 million. That should be interesting of what they do uh, with that. And, man, I tweeted this the other day, but people have completely forgotten about him. We haven't. We talked about him on this pod when uh, Denver came to town to Dallas because I sat there and watched him uh, do this pregame scrimmage for like 30 minutes uh, here in Dallas. But Michael Porter Jr., man, he's just extra. And they were this good. They were the two seed in the West. And if he hits his full potential with this team, that w- that's going to be a lot of fun. This Denver team's fun to watch. I hate that they went out this way because I feel like some people are going to take their shots at Jokic. I think Murray played uh, a great postseason, and uh, they'll be back. They're young. Yeah, I could see them having a letdown season, but I don't think they're going to miss the playoffs or anything next next year. We did. We talked about this when we talked about the Mavs' path to the playoffs. I think it was a couple episodes ago. We talked about this, but yeah, hats off to Denver. Great, se- I think great season. You can't say this is a disappointing season for them, even though they're the number two seed. It was so close in the West. You know, they they're the two seed, but they weren't that much better than all the teams below them. You know, it's not like there's uh, a huge gap. Yeah, I would have said like this is kind of like their finals. I think if they went to the Western Conference Finals, and even if they got swept by Golden State, they would walk away with their heads held high and said, you know what? Yeah, this is a great season. I think there is a little bit, a little bit gut wrench feeling of losing to Portland compared to Golden State, uh, but still, I mean, I, I think I think they'll be right back. the The story of the game, CJ McCollum, Jeez. and the level that this man uh, went to. That's what I mean. Nick and I were talking right before we started this podcast. Just like what, man? I mean, everybody thought he was good, but I don't know. I mean, I don't think the majority of NBA Twitter quote uh, thought he was that good. Well, the thing about CJ McCollum is that his one skill is that this super crafty, you know, uh, dribble drives and pull ups and mid range. That stuff is like LeBron said is is completely effective in games like this, which everyone is kind of. I mean, everyone's sphincters are tight, right? Like everyone's sitting around there. They're trying not to make mistakes. They're trying to, you know, show the most effort. This is game seven. I mean, this is do or die, like win or go home. And when push comes to shove and you need a bucket, like LeBron said, CJ McCollum is a guy that can do that. And that is his best skill. And so that is going to be elevated. When he has a night like like this, I mean, it just shows off all of the, the good that he can do on a basketball court. And he's just com- he's completely showcased in this. And he, he stepped up, to his credit. He stepped up. But his game is is very much built for moments like this. And it, I thought it, uh, Mark, believe it or not, I kind of agree with something Mark Jackson said. But Mark <laughs> Jackson said this during the game. I actually wanted to tweet this, but we don't know this. And Mark Jackson said this without even knowing if this was truly the case. I think 95% it is true. But the fact that Damian Lillard was so willing to take the back seat there in those final moments and say, CJ, do your thing. And Mark Jackson went on this whole thing and saying, man, this shows what a leader he is. And not all players would do this, being the best player of the team and all this different stuff. I, 95% that's true. And we let's just hold on to that. I don't think Mark was in the huddle when you know Terry said, hey, we're going to go with CJ for this last shot. Well, you could shot. see him not call for the ball. I mean, he could run over that's and call true. for the well, ball from CJ and stuff. True. Yeah. Let's just. Yeah, we'll go with it. But it does speak volumes about who the type of guy he is, yeah. and that in those moments, you know, assuming that he said, "Yeah, let's just get, let's give CJ the ball," that he is the best player on the floor, and it goes into the conversation we've been having. Man, it really helps when you have another guy who can put the ball on the floor and go get a bucket and another playmaker uh, alongside of you. Wow! Uh, it really helps when you have at least two of those. It's kind of amazing. It's kind of amazing that that would. That would help. 
Yeah, and you saw you saw uh, you know Dame there on the wing uh, for that final CJ bucket, uh, that ISO play, and and you know McCollum did it, and McCollum it was McCollum's hot hand throughout the whole game. What he, you know you said earlier he had what thirty seven. Yeah, and I mean this was the CJ McCollum game that won them the series, and now they're in the Western Conference Finals, and man, what a fun, I mean what a fun series it's going to be. Whether they get swept or not, I think they'll win a couple, but. Uh, Damon CJ versus Steph and Clay, sign me up. Let's do it. That's fun. And we're we're gonna we gotta move on, but the the Blazers got swept in two thousand seventeen in the first round by the Warriors, and they got swept in the, the first round last year. I mean, they this is a team that was not doing that well. You just gotta find your moment and put it all together and just have this path where, you know, at the beginning of the playoffs when the playoff matchups were set, I was like, one of these four teams is making the Western Conference Finals in San Antonio Denver, uh, the the Blazers, and OKC, and OKC Twitter kind of picked it up, and all these people were saying, "Oh, easy cakewalk for the for the for the Thunder, easy cakewalk." They're making it to the finals, and I, I mean, admittedly, I picked the Thunder to go to the Western Conference Finals, but you just have to find the right moment, and that was the right moment. It was just so wide open on that side of the bracket that Portland was able to take advantage and get there, and now this pairing is validated. I mean. This is almost like, you know, a finals for them because they're they're just going to be able to say, well, you know, we got beat by the eventual champs if that's what happens. Yeah, I mean that, that that's exactly what they'll say and I mean it's not what they will say, but it's what the if they you know, get beat Isaac. Yeah. If they if they get beat and uh, as a Mavs angle to this, and I feel like we mentioned this on a pod before, but the story of Damian Lillard in Portland is is fun. As a yeah. Mavs fan, I really do find myself uh, leaning towards some of these franchise guys that have stayed with their their teams and franchises their entire career. We were obviously spoiled with Dirk, and so seeing these guys like you know Lillard, and that's why I'm really pushing for Giannis in the East. I think it'd be cool. I think a, a finals appearance, you know, would be huge of him potentially staying there in the long term. We love seeing these guys, or at least I love seeing these guys. We just don't. You never see it anymore. Uh, that's what uh, a part of what made Dirk so so special and so yeah it, it's fun seeing you know Damian Lillard do his thing absolutely all right so one thing I want to note before we move on to our, our absolutely awesome interview today uh, we do know about the Porzingis story we, we saw the Porzingis story we saw you know Tim McMahon's uh, story on it the Mavericks statement on the Porzingis situation says it is our understanding that Kristaps was jumped and assaulted outside of a club in Latvia we will provide an update when one is available when that update is provided we will talk about this at length we don't want to jump on stuff like this we did the same thing with the, the allegations with Porzingis before we're not going to jump all over this and try to you know create opinions and stuff like that we just don't know anything we saw a kind of a grainy video of him in a, you know with his bloody face and getting upset and you know shouting things and so we're going to wait till all that stuff comes out. But we we, under, we know that it is there, um, so nobody tweet us and say, you guys didn't talk about this. Just like any of these, these situations, yeah, like the previous Porzingis stuff, like the Dennis, Dennis Smith Jr. stuff, uh, yeah. when he left the team, we approach it the same way every single time as a podcast. Well, let's wait until everything comes out. All the details, all the story comes out, and then we'll approach it on the pod and at least you know, cover it from a certain angle. So. Except trade rumors. <laughs> At the very well. <laughs> at the very sniff of a trade rumor, we will talk about that at, at, at various lengths. So we are a daily podcast, so we we have, we have to have hashtag content. So it's part of it. Speaking of hashtag content, Isaac got a great guest on the podcast today. It is uh, Tony Ronzoni. Isaac, tell the people what they need to know about Tony Ronzoni and why it's such a special interview for those that may not know who he is. 
Man, right now, a lot of talk is uh, around what this Mavericks team is going to do over the next couple of months, how they're going to build this team around Luka Doncic, Kristaps Porzingis, and uh, from the trades going, you know, draft, free agency, what's going to happen in these next few months. There's a lot of speculation going on. A lot of people just throwing names out. A lot of people putting their own opinions on what they think, you know, the front office should do. So in, in my head, I'm saying, you know what? Uh, we have a lot of Mavs fans that listen to this podcast. Let's find somebody that's going to be in uh, the draft room. Let's find somebody that is in the front office, that's a part of the decision-making, that uh, is right there with Donnie Nelson and those guys making the decisions on what this team's going to look like over the next few months. And that's none other than Tony Ronzoni. Uh, Tony is a friend of mine. He is, uh, <laughs> but more importantly, he is a friend of Donnie Nelson for the past 30 years. And uh, him and Donnie are our best buddies. I wrote a big story on Tony on Mavs. Uh, back last season and kind of telling his story, which is absolutely insane. In our interview coming up, I kind of briefly cover <laughs> his resume, which I still didn't do it justice uh, from Team USA to all this different stuff. He's scouted around the world. He's around the world all the time, but he's, <laughs> he's the a, director. He's a guy when you asked him, what was the last country you scouted in? He couldn't remember. <laughs> he couldn't he remember. So many places. He listed off everything, uh, but yeah, he's the director of player personnel for the Dallas Mavericks. He helped uh, scout Dirk uh, back when Dirk was here. He helped scout Luka, obviously, now 20 years later. Uh, he has scouted in North Korea. He is in, in China. Uh, there, there is It's insane. So uh, for the next 25 minutes, I, I just wanted to bring Tony on the pod and really just talk to him about a couple different things. We talked about Luka and you know, scouting Luka a little bit, but more importantly, at draft night, how that unfolded, how confident. Dallas was that they were going to land Luke on draft night. Now, what Phoenix was thinking or Sacramento and what just how draft night kind of unfolded. Um, and then we kind of talk about team building. What what should we put around Luka Doncic with the need for a secondary playmaker alongside Luka? Uh, what what does the playoffs right now show us about team building? And, and you know Tony talking about you know shooting and stuff. And you know and then we talk a little bit about Kristaps and their pairing and his position in the lineup. It's a it's a it's a really fun conversation because Tony's awesome. Uh, he he opens up as as much as he can. He he says at the very end, he said, "Hey, I have th- had three agents call me while we're on this, uh, <laughs> while we're on the phone doing this." So uh, they missed, it's the, a- they missed the sign and trade for Kemba while this was going on. So it's, sad to, <laughs> it's not going to happen because of this podcast interview. But it, it's a good insight into uh, a, a good tiny insight to maybe what the front office is thinking heading into uh, this next month or so with the draft lottery coming up uh, tomorrow night uh, on Tuesday night. And wow. then, you know, the draft next month and free agency and stuff. So, yeah, it's a it's a tiny, tiny uh, insight into kind of what this front office is prepping for. It's very good. Yeah, it's it's great. And I hope you enjoy it. All right, Tony. Are you are you in this country? What country? Ha- <laughs> what was the last country you've been in besides America? I have to give me a second to think about this because I've been traveling so much. I don't remember I was yesterday. Let me. <laughs> I was in. Uh, I was in Europe last. Uh, I was in Serbia. I was in Germany. Uh, I was in Hungary. I was in Slovenia, home of Luka Doncic, and uh, and then I have another place that I that I keep quiet that I was there privately looking at players. So, so that's just this past year. I mean, it's... Oh, well, yeah, I've been more than that. I've been to China. I've been to Hong Kong. Um, I've been to... 
Spain, uh, many countries. And, and, and on top of that, you know, I watch the top 60 players in college basketball. So pretty much all the top players from all the major programs from Kentucky, Duke, UCLA, you know, uh, Kansas, wherever it shall be. And then on top of that, you know, I go to NBA games quite a bit because, you know, I'm, uh, we got to stay on top of, you know, guys that are going to be possible free agents. And, and so I'm consistently, I pretty much do everything. Where we, You know, our staff is we have certain guys that do, you know, it's college only. Certain guys do G League. And, you know, with me, I pretty much cover everything uh, for our organization. So I, I prefaced this before uh, I got on the uh, phone here with Tony, but Tony is the director of player personnel for the Dallas Mavericks. You started off as a, I mean, you was a professional basketball player before, and I mean, I'm going to sum up his resume in a sentence, but start off for a scout for the Mavericks back in the 90s, uh, then moved on. You were the director of basketball operations for the Pistons, uh, director of international scouting for the Mavericks. Uh, then went to work with the Timberwolves, assistant general manager, back to the Mavericks as a director of player personnel. 30 years of friendship with Donnie Nelson. Team USA, <laughs> you're an assistant coach for Team USA and uh, scouting with Team USA. You've you scouted North Korea and all these countries. When, when I list off all of that, is there any one stop that, that makes you pause the most? Or is it just crazy that you've did all of this? I think it's pretty crazy, and also I coached a couple of years at Arizona State with Bill Frieder as a college coach. I also coached high school basketball, and I also coached in Dubai, coached in Saudi Arabia, I coached overseas, and I also was the first American to coach a Chinese Olympic team. So I've been very fortunate and humbled by the experiences of the game of basketball has given me the opportunity to see the world and develop these relationships, and I think that's a huge advantage for us, and not only for you know myself, but Donnie who worked with the Lithuanian national team for many years is, you know, him and I combined about, you know, uh, years of traveling around the world and, and going to many countries and seeing and develop relationships with coaches who are now presidents of federations. And so it's big, it's a big advantage for us in Dallas uh, that we have the ability to, you know, with our Dallas Maverick t-shirt, we can walk in any door and, and get quality information and, and get, you know, find players and, and get information that other teams probably can't get. And those relationships you've built, you've built around the world. I mean, it, it's those relationships where if somebody gets found in a different country, it reaches the right person who knows you that calls you up and says, Tony, you got to see this guy. How many times has that happened? It happens. I get it. I get it a lot. I probably get, I mean, my email list is from a hundred to 300 emails every day from all around the world, just from people touching base, uh, from people that are, you know, either looking for jobs, getting, trying to want to get an the NBA, they want to get in the G league or just people that are giving me updates of where their new job is and coaching, or maybe they have this young talent that's on their youth team. That's 18 or, and that you need to come over and watch a pl- you know, play. And so we, we constantly are getting that information and, and you just and then you know again the relationship part is you know what coaches have a good eye and a good feel and people you deal with overseas that that you can re- you know respond to and respect their their evaluation is really important otherwise you'd be you know flying around the whole world and and you know I need to see the guys who can play and, and have a chance the ability to make the NBA and how how different was Luca in that how different was Luca from any other prospect that maybe you've looked at or. Uh, just in how confident and were you in Luka Doncic heading into him, his time moving into the NBA? Really confident. 
happened, and, and the reason is, is because I've been to Slovenia many so times. I used to live, when I first started, I lived two years in Treviso, which is right outside of Venice. At the time, it was the Benetton Club. And so being there for two years, I was literally two hours from the Slovenia. I used to go over there quite a bit and watch the Slovenians play. And they had guys like Euro Sloker play for Toronto. They had Boston Nakbar who played for the Nets in Houston for a while. So I got to know those guys real well. And, you know, it's a country of only about 2.5 million people. So, and, and then, of course, uh, uh, Rostovich that played for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, and also I knew a kid named Yaka Lakovic, who was a famous point guard, never got a chance to play in the NBA, but was a great player for their national team. He kind of gave me heads up on Luka when he was 14 years old. And then, of course, when Real Madrid brought him over, um, you just saw something special. And, and again, I, I was around Ricky Rubio when he was 14, watching him play at youth tournaments. And you saw something special. Who A kid played professionally in the ACB at the time was the toughest league outside of a NBA, now it's a Euro League, of course, but Spain is a very high uh, high league for players and for Americans. A lot of NBA players are playing over there now. So you just saw a kid that was, you know, one, he had no fear factor. Um, his size, ability to handle the ball, make plays, and nothing ever phased him. Nothing ever bothered him. And you kind of saw it this year with the Mavericks. I thought he would have a little more of a learning curve and adjustment, and it, it seemed like he just got off the plane and, was you know playing like he did in Spain? It just it was natural for him. So the Mavericks land <laughs> last draft lottery. Uh, Dallas lands at, at a pick number five. How how was the conversations between you and Donnie in the front office of saying, "Man, you obviously loved your guy in Luka Doncic." Did you think of any there's any possible way that you were going to get him on draft night? No, we just kept dreaming. We were sitting there. We were originally slotted to be at the third spot. And we got slid down to the fifth spot, and it was a little quiet in the room. Um, Donnie and I kind of just looked at each other and like, well, we, you know, can our dreams still happen? And, uh, you know, fortunately, you know, uh, Atlanta got a great player in Trey Young, and we ended up getting the guy that we, we wanted, and it's worked for both organizations. Anytime you do a trade with a, another team, our, our goal is to, you know, we want them to have success uh, because you want to have a future trade partner doing business so we're, we're happy for them and we're and we're very excited about getting Luca. uh and it's interesting because i started with dallas you know 20 years ago and or in 1997 and in that next draft we ended up drafting dirk nowitzki and donnie and i were talking tonight is is this crazy 20 years later we're, we're getting another player we feel could be you know a future of the organization for years and ended up being luka Doncic. so we're very fortunate we're very lucky and and it's quite, we're excited to have him part of our organization for years. On draft day, you wake up draft morning, you probably still don't think that you, you're going to get Luca that night. How did how did that day unfold? Where Was this trade always on the table and we were waiting? What Were we calling Sacramento and Phoenix? Were we confident that Phoenix, in the direction Phoenix was going on draft night? What were those thoughts? No, you just keep your conversations open. You keep talking and keep talking and you keep asking and you get a lot of no's. And, and Donnie, to his credit, has been doing this for so many years. He's, he's a phenomenal. He's great on the phone. He's trusted in the NBA. He's well-liked. So it's one of those things when Dallas gets on the phone, you know, especially with our owner, Mark, who's awesome. You know, he gets after it. and He's so involved and he loves it. And, and he's, you know, he's, he's, I mean, he's hands-on. He enjoys the draft. He enjoys everything about the organization to help improve our team. So 
you know, having a leader like Donnie and us getting on the phone with these teams, it was great because, you know, we're able to maneuver and, and you got to do a lot of research going into the draft. You got to have an idea of where you think players are going to end up and to put yourself in a position to make a trade. And, and it's always not as easy to be done as people think sitting on the sidelines that assume you could just make these deals happen. It's a lot of teams are, it's tough to take away, you know, to trade for good players or trade draft spots. You know, a lot of teams are hesitant to make that. Um, but again, fortunately, it worked out for Atlanta. It worked out for us. So we're excited for everybody involved. Were you scared with Phoenix having Igor that Luca would would be gone at the top pick? Yeah, yeah, hundred <laughs> <100%. laughs> uh, percent. And I know Igor well. We we when we were in Detroit, we hired him as an assistant. So I I knew Igor back in two thousand and two. Actually, longer than I knew him he was in Serbia back in the nineties. So I knew Igor, and then I fact that he coached you know him and Gorn and. For them to win the European Championship for a small country, Slovenia, with not not any bigs. I mean, their bigs were six nine at most, and those two guys cannot be stopped in pick and rolls. And you saw something special. Uh, and Luca was putting up points at his age, and for them to win the European Championship was amazing. And you know, here's Igor. You know, we never really he coached a Georgia national team. It takes over Slovenia to win the European Championship, and. If you do that as a coach over in Europe, you pretty much get a stamp as a great coach. So, Igor did a phenomenal job, and he's a really good coach, and he did a great job in putting those two guys in pick and rolls. Were we scared about Sacramento at all? Did we have any talks with them? Could could we have moved up with them? You know, we had talks with them, and they, they liked Luca too, but we, we, you know, we had an inclination they wanted to go more the, the bigger route, but... They, uh, yeah, I mean, they could easily took Luca easily too, and we had to be, you know, you just have to wait that night, and hopefully your homework you've done, you think it's in the right direction, but it, you know, they could easily took him too, and they liked him. Um, so we were again, we just uh, it was one of those nights that you know after two, we we were able to Donnie got the deal done, and we were able to uh, make the trade and and get the guy that we targeted. So everyone's excited and. As you saw this year, the excitement in, in Reunion Arena. I mean, the kid is uh, he's, he's special in, in his ability, and now he's got to get ready for a great summer and come back this year even in better shape and, and better on the floor. You mentioned you mentioned Dragic and on the Slovenian national team with Luca, and it make it makes me think about moving forward having that secondary like playmaker alongside Luca. How is that a, a focus? Is that super important when you have a a guy like Luca, you want the ball in Luca's hands, but is do you need a secondary playmaker like a drag? Not take his name, but out of the equation, but a secondary playmaker alongside Luca is that a need? I think it helps. I think the league is about playmakers, and I know our coach loves playmakers. I mean, look at the, look at the great job he did with Yogi Ferrell and developed him. Look at the job he's done with Jose Pereira, who's one of the best playmakers in my opinion in the league. And then all of a sudden, you had Jalen Brunson as a rookie who, you know, coach developed and, and all of a sudden gave him confidence. He got on the floor and ended up having a great second half of the season for us as a 33rd pick. So having a guy like that with Luke, I think is important. It just, it makes, it makes it tougher for the defense to guard those guys when you got playmakers and then you got guys who can make shots, especially if you have your guards like Jose Brera and, and Jalen and, and Luke who can make shots is important. So it is, it's, you know, we're always looking for those playmakers now and that's kind of the way our league is. It used to be, you were a point guard, you were a two-man as a shooter, three, you ran a floor, a driver slasher, the four trail, five played with post. You know, now it's pretty much, just, you know, everybody plays all the positions now. 
Yeah. So how does the how does like the playoffs? Uh, you know, you're watching the playoffs and going to play. How does the playoffs impact roster building? Are you looking at these teams and saying, "Man, this is what works right now." How can we, you know, take a little bit of that and apply it to our team? I think what works is, is shooting. I think that's the number one criteria. You gotta have criteria. You have to have guys who can make shots, and it can, at, at all positions. And if you're, you know, we've been fortunate having Dirk, a seven footer, one of the best shot makers in the history of the game. You start getting spoiled. So having shot makers is huge right now. Guys that can put the ball on the floor, play make, as we just talked about earlier, that's very important. And then you got to have the grit, the toughness. And those are the guys that do the dirty work, the Montreal Orioles of the world, the Patrick Beverly's, the Jose Pereira's. You know, those guys just, when I was in Detroit, we had a guy named Ben Wallace. who was. Oh, my gosh, I love Big Ben. Oh, he was the greatest. And, he, you know, and our fans respected him. He was the the blue-collar guy. He's the guy that came to work and put his hard hat on. You know, he used to walk on the floor. I I was 10 years with the Pistons, and... They would ring the bell when they walked on the floor. Our place would go crazy. And he was the one that anchored our defense. He's the one that was get the rebounds. And you're talking about a guy that was six foot seven. I mean, he was undersized playing the five. And I think that kind of started it. What's happening now in our league that you know you have Draymond Green playing the five now. You know we have we got Dwight Powell playing the five. So there's there's you know it, because of position is position is league now where you know grit and toughness I think take over. And, and I think that's what. For me, I like to find guys that are grit, just tough, guys who can make shots, and guys that are playmakers. I think we can put it down to those three skill sets. Back last summer before the draft, I talked to uh, when I was talking to you and Donnie, and Donnie mentioned about the center position. And he was talking about Golden State, and uh, it was for the article on Mavs.com, and said, you know, it's kind of like a, a bullpen type of approach. Like you have your shot blocker and then your bruiser, and, you know, some of these teams are rolling out a bullpen approach to the center position. How does Porzingis affect that? And does like are you viewing Porzingis as a uh, as a five, as a four, or somebody that can play both? And how does that bullpen approach apply to the center position? Well, first of all, he'd be the first one out of the bullpen. He's number one, so he starts out of the bullpen. <laughs> but he, he he definitely is this. You know, I remember watching him in New York, um, and I remember making a comment in my notes. I said. You know, I saw him in Spain a lot. I spent about four days, two times over there, four days at a time, watching him practice and work out. And, you know, we tried everything we could to move up in the draft that year to get him. But he, uh, you know, he's, you can't stop it. He reminds me of Rasheed Wallace. When Rasheed get the ball in the post, nobody could block his shot. No one could stop him And when he wanted to just take over. And I think Brazingas has that ability. You know, he's 7-3 and long, and he's got a great shooting ability. That, you know, it's going to be tough to stop when you put him down on the block and post us. And I remember New York, Hornacek kept, you know, posting him up and he couldn't stop him. He was just was an automatic score. And then, you know, you could trail him. Uh, so you could play him in a variety of ways because he has such a great touch from outside. Does the does the bruising against some of these, it, you know, we have the, the switchable guys like you mentioned, Draymond Green, and then you look in the playoffs right now, we still have Jokic and Joel Embiid and some of these bigger centers is that are those type of guys guys that we feel confident in Porzingis defending those, or is that when you look at it and say, hey, we might need a bullpen type of approach to centers to have these bruisers and all of that? Well, we have to let our, our great coach Rick Carl figure that out. But he'll he'll figure it out. But I think we need, you know, I think having, I think Donnie's uh, explanation having a bullpen approach is, is is probably our best way to describe it. You're you're gonna have to get a mixture of those guys and. It's hard to get, but you have to pursue it and keep searching, and that's what we're 
doing consistently as a staff right now is we're out there searching, we're looking, and we're trying to find the right pieces. And, you know, as, 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 as you know, any time a team wins, it's, the chemistry's got to be important, and it all fits. And to me, that's, that's important for having a great organization, a great team. The trade for Porzingis, when did you find out that it was going to be a possibility, and how much did uh, how big was your smile on your face? It was huge, and, and that's all. And Donnie kept working and working. I just Donnie credit 100%. He was able to get that done, and I, I didn't think it ever get done, and, and Donnie kept working at the time. He worked out great, and, you know, and again, it worked out great for New York. They get an opportunity to pursue whatever they have in the offseason, and it worked out great for us. So, again, whenever you do a trade with a team, you want the best for both teams. And, and Scott Perry is a good friend of mine. We worked together in Detroit for 10 years uh, with the Pistons, and, and he saw winning, and he wants to win in New York. And it's just uh, it's an opportunity for both of us, hopefully, to get better. How much does the homework – you mentioned this earlier in our conversation about how you how you scout all of these guys, not just draft prospects but players across the league. How many, how many player profiles do we have in our system – from oh, your thousands, thousands, so thousands and, and when it when a trade is brought up like that obviously Porzingis is a, a different class but when a trade is brought up you know they go to you and say hey what 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 do we have on this player and you have all of these all this profile on every single player that's played in the league Correct. and we have it for years back so basically we if we we can pull up stuff from seven to ten years ago on our in our, in our system and we have information from all our scouts and from our NBA personnel and from all our information we get. And then once you do a trade, again, you got to continue to do more background, more research, and that's why we're at Gaines. you got to continue to talk to people. you got to gather. And, you know, I always tell players, you never know who's watching you. So, you know, focus. And, uh, you know, I'm big into live evaluation to me is the most important uh, when you're evaluating talent. Um, you can watch film. It's great. But seeing a kid live is more important. How he interacts with the players. How he interacts with the coaches? Does he pay attention on the bench? Is he focused on the game? Does he talk to his players? What is he doing? As you know, going into halftime, is he high fiving his guys? You know, does he care? To me, all that stuff's so important that you don't see on tape. And seeing the player live, you get you're gonna get better quality information. So, what do you think? The, what do you think the, is the next step for for the team as far as need, needs on the roster to take the next step forward? Is it a matter of health, or is it a matter of things we need to add to the roster? I think we got to continue to improve. We got to you know continue to keep finding shooting, and you know I think you know the great thing is we got a great owner, um, got a great coach, Rick Carlisle, who's, who's won before. I was with him in Detroit for two years, and. You know, he's going to be able to put a, a team together on the floor to compete all the time, as you can see, always does. Even when we made the trade and into the season last year, our, our second unit guys competed all the way down the stretch. You know, we went into Golden State, and I was telling my twin boys, I said, hey, you know, we're your Mavericks here with pride, but, you know, we may get beat tonight. And my, well, two of my boys looked at me at the third quarter like, that. we're up 36. So, <laughs> you know, that was a pretty amazing night for us to go down there and to Rick's credit to you know, our guys just kept competing. So we have, we have, we like, and all those guys are positive eyes because look at all the minutes they got. Dwight Powell, Maxi, uh, Jalen Brunson, even Brokoff started getting, I mean, all those quality minutes they got at the end of the season coming into next year is going to be beneficial to get that experience under their belt. You got the, you got the draft lottery coming up. What's the approach to the lottery with, the, with our odds and percentage? Is it kind of, yeah, what, what's the front office approach heading into Tuesday night? Wait till May 14th comes like last year. 
and see what happens. I think that's the approach. We don't, we just got to wait it out. We're, we're prepared as a staff uh, for wherever we may fall or if we just keep our second round pick. We're, we're, we've already got draft lists. We're prepared for every situation. Um, that's what our staff does. we got a great scouting staff, and that's what we do all year is consistently, constantly prepare. So we're ready for whatever direction we go. We're excited for the future of, of Dallas, and, and we, you know, uh, I've worked for three organizations, and, and this is a great organization that, you know, winning is important, and our owner, that's what he likes. He wants to win. Would you say there's a big difference between this draft class and last year's? Uh, yeah, there is. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be honest, there is. But, again, every draft, you, there's always sleepers and guys you find end up being better than, as, than were advertised. So I always look at a draft as a positive. And, you know, people could say, well, it's a down draft. As, you know, compared to last year or, say, the LeBron draft, yeah, it's down. But it's still going to be a good draft in the day. You're still going to find some player in the first, second round, or even in our instance, we got Jose Brera and Dorian Finney-Smith who got went undrafted. There's always those guys, too. So, you know, guys develop later. Uh, they get better. And then there's always players that don't get drafted, go overseas and develop, and we're constantly monitoring those guys. This summer, what – what makes this summer different than past? Because a lot of fans obviously pull back the whole, oh, look at our past in free agency or our summers or different things. What makes this summer different than past summers? I think just uh, the excitement of the team. Um, you know, one, the organization is a winning organization. We got a great fan base. We got a great owner that understands, you know, to do whatever he has to do to help our team win. I think – you know, getting a guy like Doncic that adds that flair and excitement on the floor and getting Chris Ops, you know, and with our young guys that have developed. I mean, look at Dwight Powell's development he's done in our organization. I just think there's excitement, you know, whenever I go to games and people, you know, the, the comment is they like, they, they think our organization's in an uptick, they like it. And, you know, it's it's a lot of positive feelings you hear when you walk around Dallas or anywhere you're in, a, in the NBA arena. So we're, we're excited. And um, time will tell everything on May 14th. And after that, we'll just wait and see what happens moving forward. But, you know, we got great leadership and with Donnie and Rick and Mark. And moving forward, I think there's a lot of excitement in Dallas to be, to be uh, looking forward to the future. Do you agree, Isaac? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And <laughs> my last question for you, you talked to a lot of agents and stuff a lot. And it kind of go along with, with, with what you just said. But now we have Luca and Porzingis. Is there a buzz around the league, around players, uh, or even players coming into the league that, man, I want to play with Luka Doncic and Christoph Porzingis? Yeah, there's a lot of excitement. Agents are definitely calling us a lot. And in fact, I just had three calls since we've been on the phone that have called in. So, yeah, there's a lot of excitement. Um, agents, you know, they see it. You know, you look, you look at the great point guards around the world that have played, the Steve Nash, the Jay Kidd, the Gary Payton. You know, a lot of guys, you know, they, they want to play with guys that pass the ball. And uh, anybody does. If you play in your YMCA on the weekend, it's fun to play with somebody who passes you the ball instead of shoots every time. So I think there's excitement moving forward in the direction of our organization. That's all I got for you, Tony. I, I'm Thank you so much for for coming on. And, man, uh, you go do your thing. You're probably traveling. You got you got agents to call back and everything. I really appreciate, I appreciate it. it. Thanks, man. And, and how's your young one? Oh, man, he's doing great. Just trying to uh, get him to sleep through the night. That's the task right now. I got you. You, you, you got it, Dad. You're, work, you're a worker. I appreciate you. Thanks for all the great work you guys do in Dallas.
No, thank you, Tony. Have a good day. All right, thanks.